0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing? Hope you are doing well. Hold on, actually. I don't have the exact dates. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everyone doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. I am super excited because Monday, this upcoming Monday, we are going on a research trip For over two weeks, we're going to be gone. What are we going to be doing for July 4th? How are we going to celebrate July 4th together? We will be in Nashville the 22nd through the 24th, Pittsburgh the 26th through the 29th, Philadelphia the 30th through the 2nd, and Delaware City July 3rd through the 5th. Those are the dates as of now. As I've said, we do prefer to drive because we're on our own schedule. Mm -hmm. And um, really, we go by how much longer I can drive, <laughs> how okay. much my back hurts. Mm-hmm. Jeff's a great co-pilot because he doesn't sleep. He stays awake and you know keeps the conversation going. Um, but if you would like to meet up, your potential investor would like to learn a little bit more about Focus Compounding Capital Management, reach out to me at andrew at focuscompounding.com. And of course, my DMs are open, so you can reach out to me as well there. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the due diligence that we do, that you do gotcha. on an ongoing basis. Right. I posted a little clip. I've been studying Peter Lynch a lot lately right. because I do a lot of scuttlebutt mm-hmm. for uh, the fun and, and for you. And I think, quite honestly, he's like the king of scuttlebutt. He was on yes. the road six times a week for what, 11 years? Yeah. You know, yeah. where six That's days the part of that people going.
1: overlook about his whole approach. He
0: was yeah. constantly grinding, constantly hustling, constantly talking to management, yeah, tons yeah. of on-site visits. So I thought, why not? That's a perfect person to learn from, like on Scuttlebutt. And he was talking about how important it is to continuously check the facts, mm-hmm. and how some investors can get killed if they're not continuously checking the facts. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious to hear about the due diligence on an ongoing basis. Okay. Um, You know, that is required so you don't get killed, like Peter Lynch has said. And one thing is interesting, in our partner's letter to the fund, Mm -hmm. you wrote about, you will never, most likely never have anything intelligent to say about stock prices on a quarter by quarter basis. But every now and then, you may have something intelligent to say about the actual business of the companies that we own. So I'm kind of curious to hear about how you continue to do due diligence, check up on the story, react as the facts change, or if they don't change, and sort of what your process is like for that.
1: Okay, so in that case, in that letter, what I talked about was um, things that were affected by COVID, right? And particularly if the thing that's most sensitive to, so you find out something new that happened, okay, COVID happened. So what changes about and stuff? Well, I didn't really focus on what will their earnings be for the next quarter, the next year. Uh, that's not a very lasting sort of thing, but what is very lasting and was the thing I focused on is balance sheet solvency. Because if you don't have cash flows for a little while, then suddenly the balance sheet, which seemed okay or whatever before is now a really, really big issue. Ooh. So the same thing could be happening. Uh, in March, right? If you were invested in a bank or something like that, and what was happening financially in the world was what was happening, or, or a REIT or whatever, someone that needed um continual cash flows in and stuff to fund certain activities. Um, then you suddenly have a really big problem that you have to investigate deeply. So th- those are obvious ones. You know, Dave and Busters, when can it reopen? Uh, you know, if it and how long can they survive and stuff. So it can bring something new that you hadn't focused on before suddenly into the forefront of it. And so that's something that you have to look into. Uh and in that case I did and then talked about things about um just like what they were likely to find finance things and stuff and now we know a little bit more sense then about how they finance themselves what they did with banks and stuff but that would be the part that would interest me the most and normally on a you know average basis you can just kind of uh when you're first looking into a stock say okay they have a lot of cash they have very little debt whatever not really worry well how much do they have on their credit lines and stuff um you know it's something that i'm aware of and then i do write down and everything but it may even be something that i would not talk to people about certainly not to talk to talk to partners and stuff about when we bought into something if it just has a really solid balance sheet i'll just uh, skip over that part you know it's fine Mm -hmm. Uh, but suddenly like a liquidity crisis or something it becomes a big issue so that's an example of it the same thing would be if things change in an industry um what we have to look into So, like, um, I'll try to keep it to practical things of, like, stuff we actually own or had owned or whatever. A good example would be, like, NACO, right? So, two things have changed over time there, basically. One, they're in a coal business thing. So, it competes with, like, wind. But that was a thing that was known from the beginning and research and stuff. And something that, you know, something about it could change suddenly. But basically, you're just looking into how economical is wind power versus lignite and stuff that didn't change that rapidly but you know what did change that rapidly is natural gas stuff and what changed even more rapidly that I'd say the natural gas pricing was availability of financing mm-hmm. so when we invested in it originally i would say it was kind of a um a boom at least in the financing aspect of it it was relatively easy to raise a lot of capital to drill and stuff and then um afterwards that kind of dried up. And so that makes a huge change in terms of their royalties and stuff. So it's something that you have to follow and you have to look at. And it's also something that's important when analyzing the results of a company is like, why did this happen? And going beyond just the earnings thing. So we had another company where their earnings went down and I didn't care. It was OTC markets. Um, They spent more money on stuff. And so basically, I thought that was totally okay. The things that I care about and stuff that, um, that are more like the revenue line, the gross profit line, and then like each of the subgroups of where the revenue comes from and stuff, that stuff all proceeded at exactly the kinds of rates that I was expecting. And it's just that they spent more money for the year. And so that's the kind of thing where you don't get all worked up that earnings went down or something because Mm -hmm. the company spent more on its expenses, even though its revenues went up.
0: Yeah. And you actually wrote a blog post a few years ago where you were talking about Charlie Munger when he says EBITDA is bullshit earnings. Mm -hmm. And if EBITDA is bullshit earnings, then maybe investors should learn to move up the income statement for like, um, you know, like a true stable piece of their business to see if it's like, you know, a good company and, go and care a lot about gross profit and stuff like that. So, in your yes. case of over the counter mm-hmm. markets, maybe on the bottom line, they um, weren't earning as much as they did. You know, the year before, the margins got hit a little bit, but that's because they spent more on an office in New York City, and we knew all that mm-hmm. going into it. But on the top lo- On the top line with revenue growth and gross profit that was all incredibly stable and obviously they're not going to open up a new um you know headquarters every single year so going forward that's not going to be like
1: a normalized earnings exactly and then the thing is like um how related is this new information to your original Uh, reason for buying it basically people would say you know the thesis still true or whatever um now it can also be stuff that comes out of left field that you weren't expecting uh we talked about with COVID and stuff uh but an important thing is like um So we owned a timberland company, and then there's an appraisal of the land. So, question is like appraisal of the land, and also new management took over the board. So, what's our ongoing thoughts about that management? So, getting the communication from them, what is you know their thinking and stuff like that is very important. Any management changes are very very important to analyze, and any shifts in capital allocation decisions or any strategic shifts are huge. The main reason I sell a stock. Um, historically for reasons that aren't price are because there's a shift in, I would say capital allocation, especially in the sense of competitive strategy. I'm not talking about like short-term tactics and stuff, but an actual change in how this company expects to compete in its industry, where it expects to, to fit in and stuff. That's why I'll sell. And I'll sell very quickly in that case. I always give the example like Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Barnes & Noble decided to pivot into spending a lot of money on uh, Nook, which is an e-reader thing instead of just milking cash flows from its um, stores, a retailer which is suddenly going into being a device company and stuff is a big shift and it's then i would get out of it right away the same thing uh, in several stocks where i had looked into them and stuff and then decided not to write them up or whatever would be things like um, majestic wines shifting in a direction i thought would be more online in fact it turned out that's to be. exactly what they've done they, that is what they did yeah but they basically brought in a ceo he's gone now but they brought in a ceo whose history was in online wine stuff and they were an offline wine company um a retailer so when they made that shift I felt that was demonstrating a giant shift in in strategy so big shifts in strategy are definitely one and any changes in management are one
0: you know it's funny like thinking about like crafting the narrative and stuff like that and how sometimes investors on the outside they i guess in their head or or you know on these message boards they paint like a very doom and gloom type of picture when something like that happens and obviously a CEO leaving a business is incredibly you know that's a huge fundamental shift right but you know you read the message boards of why Um, that guy left the the company right and then you speak to somebody that maybe has spoken to him and his explanation is he's on his boat in the caribbean (laughs) you know hanging out you know he's like a build-a-sell type guy more of a startup type of guy and he's Mm -hmm. just like i just wanted to cash out and go live my life and that's actually i talked to somebody that talked to him and 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 then assuming that's true honestly the
1: reason why we didn't invest in it why kwan i didn't write up and stuff is not whether I have positive or negative feelings about him, I felt he wasn't a guy who runs a business. He's a guy who starts businesses. The fact they're bringing him in meant there's gonna be a total shift in the business. It was going to go from a more investment type thing to a speculative thing. Now, a lot of people like that and were excited. Totally, it. Yeah. Uh, they were shifting downline online stuff. But to me, that's like having a startup, you know? Um, so it just changes it and it doesn't necessarily, it, it depends, but it doesn't mean for you when you're getting into it, whether you necessarily want to, uh, I would say a lot of times people think, is this good news or bad news or something like that? And I'd be careful about that. Is this consistent with your original reasons for investing and stuff? Or is this taking in a different direction from what you intended? And if it's going in a different direction, that's okay, to some extent, but you have to be careful about like just measuring out on the probabilities all the time. Um, uh, Necker is a good example, because Necker is something where some again, something out of left field sort of happened. Um, what happened was there was an agreement to do an acquisition of the majority of their business uh, for cash. And then what would be left is this rump business that I liked, plus um, cash, right? So the calculation in terms of the price and stuff that I had was done on that basis. And in fact, I was somewhat cautious about the fact of whether the deal would close and stuff. So I was a little careful about that. But once it was clear, the deal would close, then I invested in it that way. Now, I, in my career, have looked at hundreds at least of acquisitions, right? Of public companies and things. Um, the companies I've owned have been sold. Uh, I've done some things that were like merger arbitrage things, whatever. So I've analyzed things about deals going through or not we were at the point at which it seemed certain the deal would go through. There was then a dispute over the closing adjustments to it. So these are closing adjustments that are made like your accounts receivable were this amount. And then on the closing day, it was this amount you had this much debt. It adjusts for seasonal things, things like that. It's a normal thing to do in a merger. It's usually a very, very small figure compared to the total size of the merger. This was a huge figure and meant that there was now a legal dispute, basically a dispute between the two companies that was really big. And, and, um, a really big issue. So the problem is you can try to analyze and stuff, like I did looking into it, um, about the probabilities of it. And I felt that the market's response was not at all um uh, underreact. I mean sorry, not at all overreacting. Uh I should I should say not at all um overreacting to the possible probabilities. Mm-hmm. But it also didn't seem to be dramatically underreacting to it, it seemed within a range um, if you think about it, it happened at a range that was like, a, say, it assumes a 50-50 outcome for each side or something. And I didn't feel that I could have a better gauge than, say, like a 20-80%. No matter how much research I'm going to do, I'm really not going to have a better idea of whether there's a 20% chance or an 80% chance that it's going to be completely favorable to one party or the other. This is you know, often what happens with things like that i mean i've invested in things where there was litigation stuff where i felt i understood the probabilities better than this case so this is an unusual thing that way but you have to ask like why are you investing in the company and then how big is the outcome in terms of the price and stuff that way and it's an interesting issue because sometimes when something like that happens you might sell and one way to think about it is if i you know you, you can each person can come to their own conclusion about this but when i thought about it i thought would i invest now in the company at today's price if i hadn't already been an investor and to me, the answer was definitely no. That doesn't mean that I, I didn't answer the question, do I think the company is cheap or not? Which rationally is the correct thing to, to look at. If you're going to sell the stock back into the market, rationally, you should be asking all the time, is this the exact right price or something? I think that's too hard for investors to do usually. Mm-hmm. I think better is like, would I make this investment if we were in the situation we're in today? so the price is what it is today and the situation has changed to the extent it has today would i still make this investment and my answer was no i wouldn't i'd buy other stuff and so you know then i would sold that stock to buy other things that i would do um most i don't know most people a lot of people will stick in with something like that mm-hmm. um if they feel that the probabilities are still favorable or whatever but my concern is it's a different kind of bet at that point that wasn't what i went in expecting and um So I would want to avoid that. And I think it's hard for people to constantly adjust every quarter to like earnings releases and stuff. But just asking that question of would I still invest in it at today's price if I was finding it for the first time?
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good filter. Yeah. Like on an ongoing basis. Yeah. With all the information that you know today, mm-hmm. even if they're going a different direction or they're doing something different, would you right. invest in it today
1: knowing what you know? Right. If this today was the first day I ever heard of the stock is really the best way to think about it. Because a lot of times you, people sell a stock basically because they owned it and went up 100%. And that can happen. I mean, I've owned stocks where they go up a bunch and the news is kind of mediocre. And so you do feel tempted to sell it because on that basis, I would say the price move was much more – was not justified by the news. And sometimes the reverse is true. But we've we've owned things that went up like about 100% when I felt the news justified a, a tenth or a fifth of that or something. And so you do feel tempted to sell on that basis. But on the other hand, if you ask the question, would I still – if I was just finding the stock today, invest in it, then it could still be right because you could have bought something that was so cheap in the beginning that just that adjustment doesn't necessarily mean you have to get out of it. Mm-hmm. What are you
0: trying to get out of earnings calls, transcripts, earn, I mean, quarterly earnings in general,
1: the 10 Qs? I mean, what are you trying to get out of um, you know, earnings? The underlying drivers of the business, how they're performing. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not that interested in what is revenue. I'm interested in what was attendance. I'm not that interested in um, what is uh, OTC markets, for instance. I'm really interested in what their numbers are, both in terms of volume and pricing on each of the different lines of business. So, you know, let's say you have a business where companies pay you money to be listed on certain things. Did you raise the prices on them uh, 5% this year or zero, or did you cut it? and uh did you keep all of them or did you have significant churn and if you had churn why did you have Mm -hmm. it and things like that um attendance things like did you raise your prices or not and did you increase or decrease the actual number of people Mm -hmm. uh, visiting and stuff like that those sorts of things usually are the ones that i care the most about and really into the gross profit line and stuff like that yeah well what i think is unique about what you do and how you think about it and again
0: i don't know if this is something we train or it's like a nurture over nature type thing but you truly don't let the market craft your narrative. The price of the stock or the reaction after earnings craft your narrative. You could be like, wow, that was terrible earnings and the stock could be up 10%. People love it. And you could you know, say and feel pretty confident be like, I don't know why it's up 10% right now.
1: Well, let's talk about one in that case, Points International. Mm-hmm. So um, we own Points International, which does airline miles uh, work. It basically markets airline miles on behalf of um, airlines as customers to individuals. Yeah. Right? And so COVID happened and airlines had at this point already come out actually and said some airlines in fact one that i suspect but it's not confirmed in their filings and stuff is one of the very biggest customers of uh, in an average year of this um company I, I think it is one of the biggest and um that airline and others but that one especially said this is like this is nothing like 911 this is so much worse um you know uh, the numbers we're going to see declines in tra and volume are going to uh, passenger volume are going to be way down, and we haven't reached a bottom, mm-hmm. and we have no signs that we are reaching a bottom at this time. And uh, this was months and months ago. And uh, points international. Uh, uh, so I anyway I decided to sell the stock before the earnings call. My main reason for selling the stock before the earnings call was actually I wanted to sell it on days on which there was a, a lot of volume. I felt that we wouldn't disrupt the price as much getting out um, because. We had uh, we didn't own a meaningful amount of the company, but we did own a very meaningful amount of the kind of volume you would have in a given week or something. Uh, but it could be a lot higher right before then. So we sold down and stuff. And then what happened? It went up. Mm-hmm. They gave their earnings call and it went up. Now, the reason it went up is because they basically kept with their guidance, they
0: reaffirmed their guidance yeah and they haven't changed their guidance at all
1: right which is interesting but you know but so actually what so what's interesting about that and this could be me just being very contrarian and stuff is the stock went up on the news they reaffirmed their guidance Mm -hmm. my estimate of the company actually went down on the reaffirmation of the guidance because i felt that was so out of line with anything that would make sense Mm -hmm. and we've talked about that before where a company um it turned out that we there are probably reasons that I understand now for why it was happening, but a company, uh, insiders are buying stock and people were saying that's a very big positive. And I was saying, well, it could be two things. It could, this is in the middle of COVID and it's a stock that's a hundred percent dependent on, um, on states, not forcing them to shut down. Otherwise it has no cash flows. And, uh, My feeling was, well, I don't know. It's either very positive that they feel that the value is so good that they have once they come out of this, or they're unrealistic about what's happening right now. And that's the kind of thing with the Points International thing. Are they, at the time, were they being unrealistic about what was gonna happen with airline stuff? Because that's a very big issue because with that company, for instance, and I don't know, this could be an indication that's positive for the company because they know things we don't. But one of the things, the issues is we had discussed, you and I, what are the situations in which they could have financial problems at all, like mm-hmm. actual solvency problems and stuff. And the only case is a sustained <laughs> drop in airline travel yeah. in which people don't want to buy airline miles. And in fact, even if you have air tra- air travel bounce back, you've had a point where people weren't using miles that they had and stuff. So it's still not necessarily the case. And people could still be also nervous about will there be a point in the future again where I'll have trouble with airline stuff or whatever
0: whatever it is because the company's contractually obligated to purchase uh, airline miles from these airlines as
1: well correct it's contractually obligated on a yearly basis mm-hmm. so it's stranger than that so it's that it, like now and stuff nothing would show up but at the very end mm-hmm. of the year then they would theoretically have to buy all this stuff now they may know things about the airlines and stuff that's different and i've always wondered that would the airlines really enforce this on the one hand the airlines desperately need the cash and it puts cash directly in in airline pockets, them doing this. But on the other hand, they don't have that many partners that do this for them. And so realistically in many industries, you don't want to crush them and stuff. You want to keep them afloat. And so we see that with like the car dealer industry. Everyone thinks that car dealers will be, and small ones maybe put out of business and stuff by COVID. But on the other hand, manufacturers and stuff want to bend over backwards to help them out because this is how they sell their cars. Mm-hmm. This is their network. And in, although they don't own the companies, they need them to be able to sell their cars. And so they understand we can't wipe out our dealer base. Um, we actually have to work with them. Mm-hmm. Do everything we can to work with them. Yeah. So... Anyway, that's a good example because the stock went up quite a bit on the news. And yet my valuation of the company went down on that. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually later, the stock moved and stuff in a way that reflected more COVID type concerns. But, you know, it's, it's that kind of baffling thing that does happen sometimes when you look into these things.
0: And to your point earlier about the filter of doing due diligence on an ongoing basis, when the facts change, would you buy it in today? Us sitting here right now, would you buy and do Points International with everything no. going on? Absolutely not. I wouldn't. So, I mean, that, you know, just sort of proves that point right there.
1: But it does also hit on a thing that is stuff you can predict ahead of time and stuff you sort of can't. Could I have predicted the COVID thing? Um, We looked at certain possibilities and stuff. I only considered things like, I didn't really consider pandemic and stuff. In fact, I would put a higher odds on, we you know we talked about things that were um terrorist things war things like that i always ask you i'm
0: right? like okay how do we get absolutely after this investment yeah you know mm-hmm. like what is the literally craziest right. pull the ghost out of the wall type of thing that can happen yes and we were talking about okay well if there's a terrorist attack and then the perception of flying is sure you know bad but then you can even handicap that well air travel did come back
1: after 9-11 you know right and, a lot, and the problem of course is a lot of people would use 9-11 just like they do for super cat risk and stuff they use that as the worst case scenario and you have to remember that whenever there's a worst case scenario, it's worse than any scenario had ever been previously. <laughs> yeah. So people were using 9-11 for airline bumpy. travel. And in fact, it's worse than the 9-11 was. Yeah. Um, and that will happen all the time. You know, you, you have to include the possibility that if you have the worst earthquake uh, ever or the worst hurricane ever in the United States, you don't want to write insurance on the assumption that's, that's the only thing that could ever happen. There could be one that's much worse than that, as we've seen here. As we've seen. But the thing that's hard with that is... although I would view a pain, if someone asked me how likely is a pandemic and stuff, I would give odds, which are not low. I mean, way higher than most people would give. However, I would never have guessed it would shut down air travel around the world. That never occurred to me previously. That's not what happened. And there are reasons why I would think that wouldn't happen this time, but it did. And so the, the response is different than what I would have expected and stuff, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so because of that, you can't predict that sort of thing on the other hand, or it's a surprise or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. on the other hand, though, So that was a concern that I had. We looked at it and we sort of thought, oh, financially, they'll be fine. But um, I did not, I had no particularly strong feelings one way or the other about management. If we bought the stock, which we did, at that point, it would become the stock with the management I had the least confidence in. Mm -hmm. And so, that's something you have to think about, the weakness of it beforehand. So, when I talk about them reaffirming their guidance, Mm -hmm. that's interesting because, say, if NACO reaffirmed their guidance after I thought they shouldn't, I would give a lot of thought to whether they were making the right decision but in this case, I didn't think that well, because a clear I have difference? way more confidence in that they're not overly aggressive in terms of their their um, uh, guidance and things like that. I just have more confidence.
0: Well, the thing is, I mean, and I went back through every time points issued guidance, and they were always pretty much spot on right. with their guidance. However, the yeah. the main pitfall is though. I mean, they don't. What do they own of the company management? I mean, like nothing. Right. That's true.
1: And but the other thing is that they. Uh, the reason why their guidance should always be like spot on is because they're basically carrying out a contract that sure, they signed yeah. already ahead of time, and we're just approaching the end of the year. The issue here is you signed a contract basically, and then the world changed for part of the period of that contract. So it's like as if a company just bought and sold, um, you know, uh, coffee beans or whatever, and then suddenly they can't get shipments of beans in. Well, now, if that's the first time that's ever happened in the history of this company, now their guidance, I would feel, is not accurate because they've had a, a, a interruption in their business uh, mm-hmm. that really changes what things are. And so it just surprised me that they didn't withdraw the guidance and stuff. Especially it surprised me because um, other companies, including customers in their own industry, had done it. Mm-hmm. And the companies that are much less affected had done it and were, or were seeming like they were going to do it. So it just was very surprising to me and worried me a little bit. And but, so that's why I made it. And,
0: well, and, and quite honestly, that's why the stock shot up after earnings, was because the market was pricing in that they were going to probably reaffirm their guidance and it was going to be sort of doom and gloom. And then, they, yeah, and, and then they draw. Yeah. And
1: then they, they come out and, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. They're going to draw and they come out and say, nope, everything's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, that's, what? They have to be careful about is, in a sense, anything that's a surprise to the market, while very important, is more likely to not be lasting and to be the kind of thing you have to be a little careful about. Because when they're like, oh, a company, so-and-so beats by this amount when people expected them not to. You have to be a little careful because that can have to do with timing things. It can have to do with whatever. It tends not to be the thing... The big news of the moment Mm -hmm. tends not to be the really sticky long-term thing that happens. Now, sometimes it is. If net... Now, put aside COVID because that... Inter, that changed this too but in a quarter in which there was no covid if netflix comes out and beats by subscribers by a huge amount that kind of thing usually is an indication of long-term viability in mm-hmm. the business now it isn't in cases like now so it makes no sense so if you see like because everybody's at home that costco sales are up well people shopping habits it was like village supermarkets right yeah they had huge increase in earnings because they're in a very heavily affected area in their essential business so um I think that you want to look at the things that are lasting that way, looking into it. And then you also want to think about the things that are related to your original thesis for it and if that's dramatically changed in some way. Um, So points, I would give the example, although the COVID thing happened, honestly, it wasn't 100 percent about COVID. That's the kind of thing that, okay, that's a surprise, but I can deal with that. Uh, Virtue was very seriously affected. In some ways, it could be affected almost as much as points, but not as much. But um, I didn't feel have the same level of concern about virtue. I had some concern about it. um, But I didn't have the same level of long term lasting concern from it that I did about points. And one reason for that is kind of that I was already worried about points going into it about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you know something like necker is a good example too because i didn't necessarily have a ton of conf while i liked the business that would be remaining i didn't necessarily have a ton of confidence in management capital allocation whatever so if the same thing had happened with a business i liked a lot uh with management stuff i felt more secure with not whether i liked them or something but just do i have confidence of what they were going to do then i'd be more likely to um stick with them or something that way so like if um like we said, so like if, you know, NAC or something insisted on maintaining guidance on something, I would give like more weight to that than I would some other um, companies that way.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, whenever they come out with their earnings, it's always exactly what they, pretty much what they said was going to be like, you know, in prior quarters.
1: Right, and so this is a good example of that. There was some very bad news for them about losing a customer. And actually in the earnings release, which came out a little bit later than the announcement of the customer thing, what surprised me is su- that they actually seem to have some Doubts like there may be some path in which this um, in which someone operates this uh, power plant for a longer term and stuff. And that really surprised me because while that's a normal thing for many companies to say, mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, well, it's not final yet. So we don't want to say and whatever that if this management was saying that I just felt that they. The probability wasn't so much 100% as I may have thought originally. So, it changed my attitude about that. 100% Even of what? That it was gonna close down. Got it. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I felt that what management was saying actually tipped things a little bit more that way. But that's another interesting one because they had announced the lithium mine thing a while before and the stock went crazy on that. Mm-hmm. And then like maybe I don't know if it was momentum people or what into it. And when I ran the numbers and stuff, I wasn't getting anywhere near that possible valuation. That was
0: another situation where the stock was just going like crazy and you're like, I don't understand why it's, no. it's doing this. Yeah.
1: It's, it's the kind of thing where it's like say I would say oh this could be a, you know increase the value by five dollars or something day one it goes up five dollars mm-hmm. day two it goes up even more and whatever and that's assuming like a hundred percent probability that it'll happen so that kind of thing can happen in the news where you have a disconnect with um uh that with in in the earnings release and stuff where you have a disconnect with the business underlying it. You just have to kind of do the math yourself checking out on it.
0: And then you start to think of other things though to the narrative which could be bad for like confirmation bias because I remember there uh, I was like okay well are energy investors focusing on this company now? Like is it bringing in a different type of uh right. investor group because now they're going to be doing this and you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you start to which is not a good thing probably but i mean maybe if you're thinking through it but you know you start to there's a lot of confirmation bias there where you're like okay let's justify this right. price what, with
1: the narrative that's what people do yeah the, and that's
0: that's an issue let's justify this move with you know f- for confirming it or the narrative or right. whatever
1: yeah i mean we'll get deeply into every stock and stuff but in the case of naco because it was in a matter of months i can just say that on the 52 week thing i thought the 52 week high was had responded way too much to news of things. I also thought the 52-week low had responded too much to news of things. It is true there were some positive news that happened that contributed to the high and some negative news that contributed to the low. But if you do but in math, my so. estimate of what each one was worth, it was never as big as how much the market adjusted it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well,
0: I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button both on YouTube and on the podcast side of things. We love the support. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, It means the world to Jeff and myself. Makes it a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next podcast.